Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for this third Sunday of Advent is of extraordinary importance. For it speaks to us of the transformation or transfiguration of the self, which is unique to Christianity. I'm speaking about our supernatural elevation into sons and daughters of God. It's the unique boon, the unique good held out to us by Christianity. Let me try to explain it by way of contrast. See, every decent philosophy or social movement or religion speaks of moral rectitude, usually under the rubric of justice, right? that we're called upon to be better people, more just. We give to the other what is due. So all decent people recognize that doing the right thing is essential to human flourishing. So Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, the founding fathers of our country, Sufi teachers, Buddhist sages, etc., would all speak of moral reform, the great virtues of justice. And I would say the prophets of the Old Testament are in that same tradition. Read Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Ezekiel, etc. They all call for justice and for moral reformation. Now, John the Baptist, whom we hear from in our gospel today, is often called the last of the prophets. For he's not only the last chronologically, but he's the figure who seems to sum up with such consistency and clarity what is best in the great prophetic tradition. It's as though Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of them are gathered together in this one figure he gives voice to this prophetic call for justice and moral reform. So listen to John today as we read from the beginning of Luke's gospel. We hear something which is probably typical of John's preaching, remembered by those who heard him. Various people come to the Baptist and they ask what they must do in order to be pleasing to God. And he gives them very concrete instructions, and it's all very good advice. To the tax collectors, he says, don't take more than you should. Of course, that was a common practice at the time. Tax collectors took advantage of their position, of their power, and they extorted money like mad from people, which is why they were so hated. So John says to them, you know, no, be just. I understand need for taxes, but don't take more than you should. To soldiers, he says, don't extort and bully people. Don't expect more pay than you deserve. And again, this was a common thing. Imagine soldiers, either Roman soldiers or maybe they were um, uh, Jews working for the uh, temple hierarchy and so on. 
what do they do? You give a bunch of young men uh, arms, <laughs> you give them this basic training. Well, they can become bully boys in very short order. So John says, don't do that. Don't extort people. Don't bully people. In other words, he urges the basic works of justice. Like his religious and philosophical colleagues, the Baptist assumes here that this moral reform in the direction of justice can be undertaken through our own efforts. You know, and here I think Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Jefferson would all agree with him. And they'd all be right. You know, we can make ourselves better by doing the works of justice. But now watch, watch. Something very strange is going to happen. And it's a hinge upon which Christianity in many ways turns. When the people suggest that he, John the Baptist, might be the Messiah, he quickly and emphatically clarifies the matter. The last and greatest of the prophets says, listen, there's one coming who is mightier than I. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. Again, that was something that a slave did, taking off someone's shoes. I mean, I'm not even worthy to be this man's slave. See, notice something first. We couldn't really imagine, say, Isaiah saying such a thing about Jeremiah or Amos saying such a thing about Ezekiel. I'm sure they would have respected their prophetic successors. But I, I couldn't imagine Isaiah saying, oh, there's one coming, this Jeremiah is coming, and I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. No, no, there's another human being, another prophet like me. You know, respect him, listen to him. But, but you wouldn't imagine Isaiah saying such a thing. What John is signaling, and again, remember his position as the last of the prophets. He's, he's the last in this great prophetic tradition. He's signaling the qualitative difference between himself and this new one who is coming. Something more than a prophet is arriving. And listen, something more than mere moral reform is being predicted and called for. You know, from Isaiah through Jeremiah and Amos, Ezekiel, Hosea, the rest of them, up to John the Baptist, the same basic message is coming up is be better people through moral reform, become more just. But see, something, something new is coming. Now, what's new? Notice how the emphasis shifts from things that people can do to things that this new figure will do for them and to them. So John's describing now the one, who, one who's coming. Listen to what he says. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor. I think I've explained in, in earlier homilies what that means. It's an image that they would have gotten right away. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. They, they bring the, you know, the wheat in. They throw it on, the, on this level surface, the threshing floor. And then with the winnowing fan or fork, like a pitchfork, they'd lift it up and the wind would blow the chaff away. That's how they would separate the wheat from the chaff, right? So it was a common sight and practice in the ancient world. But notice now, John says to, to his followers, okay, do something now, reform your lives, you take some action. But now, now we're in the passive voice. 
the one who's coming is going to do something to us and for us. He's going to get inside of us and separate out the wheat from the chaff. He's going to do the work of separating what's what's life-denying and what's life-affirming in us. He'll do the work of sorting out and cleansing and purifying. And then these decisive words. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This coming figure will dip people into the fire of the Holy Spirit. Baptizane in Greek just means that means to dip into. He'll dip you into the fire of God's Holy Spirit and thereby give you something you would never otherwise have. He's not just one more prophet recommending moral reform. He'll take that for granted. Mind you, he's not against that by any means. But he will affect something in those whom he invades, raising them to a level that no philosopher or moral reformer or prophet ever dreamed of. Now here's the hinge. For Jesus is not simply one more prophet, but rather the incarnate Son of God, and hence a bearer of the divine life. This life that cannot, even in principle, be earned or achieved or merited. It can only be received as a gift. This is Christianity, everybody. This is the hinge upon which so much of it turns. In the classical theology of the church, I'm talking here about the distinction between nature and grace. Right? Nature, what's, what's given to us, what's present to us. All the great philosophers and moral reformers appeal to our minds and our wills. They appeal to us, to our nature. What's grace, gratia in Latin, from the Greek charis? It means gift, gift. It can't be achieved. It can't be earned. It can only be given. I like how the, our word charism and charisma are derived from charis. Someone's got charisma. It's not something that they've worked on. You can't go to charisma school, right? You can't practice your charisma. It just means it's, it's given to you. It's like this weird um, quality that was just given to you. So what is the um, quality that was just given to you? So what does the invasion look like? This cleansing by the winnowing fan, this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, the Spiritus Sanctus, pneuma in Greek, it means breath, right? The holy breath. It's the breath or the air that's breathed back and forth by the Father and the Son. It's the sigh of love eternally exchanged between them, the love that God is. And so, listen now, everybody. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be immersed in the ocean of the divine love. Love, which means willing the good of the other as other. And see, this is all God can do since God has no needs. So whatever God wills good, he's willing the good of another. God cannot be self-interested. So, so when we are 
dipped into this reality, we become capable of something that neither Plato nor Aristotle nor Thomas Jefferson nor the prophets themselves ever dreamed possible, namely to love with the very love of God. To love with the very love of God. To will the good of the other as other. Where can you see it? Look at the saints. To be sure, the saints, you know, are just and prudent, courageous, kind, magnanimous. They have all the natural virtues. They're people of justice, moral reform, all that. But there's something else going on. Something stranger and more rare. They are possessed by a love that they would never on purely natural grounds have been capable of. Now think Mother Teresa in the slums of Calcutta. Now think Junipero Serra going to the ends of the world to carry the gospel. Think now of St. Bruno giving himself to utter contemplation of God. Think of Rose Hawthorne taking the dying into her own apartment. These things happen not because they've worked on it, not because they've achieved some level of moral reformation. These things happen because Jesus invaded them, cleansed them and purified them, dipped them into the fire of the Holy Spirit. See, friends, welcoming this Adventus Christi, this coming of Christ, welcoming it, taking it in, is what this holy season of Advent is all about. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.